Come on, can you give Jesus a shout of praise? Jesus, we love you. We lift you up. We magnify you. We declare there's no one like you in all the earth. Lord, there's no one like you, Jesus. And Lord, today we want to lift you up. Because Jesus, we know that if you would be high and lifted up, you would draw all men to yourself. Jesus, you are the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. You're the most beautiful person I've ever seen. You're wonderful, Jesus. And Lord, I pray that in these next few minutes, that Lord, we wouldn't hear the words of men, but Lord, we would hear the heart of God that's wooing your church, that's wooing people, Lord, out of where they are and into where you are. And so, Lord, I just thank you for fresh bread this morning in your house. Fresh revelation, Lord, that, that, that separates bone from marrow. Lord, Lord, I pray that you would come in such a unique way that, Lord, when we walk out of here in seven hours, that, Lord, you would say, uh, Lord, the people would say, surely we've been with God. And so, Lord, I bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. You thought I was kidding, but you were told to bring a sack lunch. I saw it online somewhere. And, no, it's uh, great to be with you. And we've had a wonderful weekend uh, just ministering. And uh, you know, the, the, what I love about the presence of God is uh, it's sweet. Jesus always comes on purpose, with purpose, and for purpose. Because nothing is accidental in the kingdom. Nothing is coincidental. So this morning, you may have just found the church online. You may have uh, been invited. Somebody may have said, hey, go check this church out on dirt roads in the country. And uh, you may have heard banjos. And you're wondering, where are you going? Here's where you came, somewhere. When I was here for the first time around October of 2019, I woke up and the Lord said, where are you? Uh, and I said, I, I don't know. Like I got here, it was dark, and so I have no idea. And the Lord said, I brought you to the middle of somewhere. And I hadn't forgotten that. Because sometimes we could think that we're a small community or we were you know, uh, rural in some areas, but yet God knows how to find us. He knows how to announce us. He knows how to market us. He knows how to say, ah, this is a people within a people who believe my word. And so you're today, I, I, I'm saying all of this to tell you that no matter how you got here this morning, it's not coincidental. It's not accidental. I'm sorry if you came to hear a guest speaker. I'm no longer a guest speaker. I'm just family. And uh, they bring me in every once in a while because I talk really long. So, and then the next time Steve preaches, then everybody goes, oh, Steve, you're so short now. Uh, and, um, uh, and so that's really why I'm here. No, I'm, uh, and, uh, but... I love the presence of God because the presence of God to me isn't goosebumps. It's not falling on the floor. It's not speaking in tongues as wonderful as all of that is. The presence of God is a person and his name is Jesus. And the beautiful thing about him is he is omnipresent. He's everywhere, but he chooses to be with us. I love the fact that he's Emmanuel, God with us, but I also love by the power of Holy Spirit that he's God in us. And, and you are created for an encounter with God. You aren't created to just kind of theologize Him. You aren't created just to kind of ponder Him. You are created to know Him and be known by Him. 
And I believe that we're in this season of hot pursuit where Jesus, out of his love and his mercy and his grace, is pursuing his people, even the people who don't know that they're his people yet. I have this holy hunch on the inside of me that every person was born with a desire to know God. Whether they profess to be an atheist or an agnostic or, or, or whatever their preference would be in this moment, God puts something in them that, that has caused them to want to know Him. And sometimes it gets reflected and rejected simply because it's not presented in the way that He really is. We've tried to package him religiously. We've tried to package him uh, seeker-sensitively. We, we've tried to do all kinds of things. But here's the beauty about Jesus. He knows how to defend himself. I, I saw this, uh, this saying one day. He said, you really don't have to defend the, a lion because the lion knows how to defend itself. Right? You don't have to try to argue people in. You just need to reflect him. You need to represent him in the world around you. I don't take that lightly. I saw something the other day that offended me. That's how I knew it was for me. Because what offends you reveals you. And the statement was this. You're not being offended for Jesus. You're, being, you're not being persecuted for Jesus. You're being persecuted for not acting like Jesus. You know, we take hits sometimes on Facebook or Instagram or people troll us. People say all kinds of things. You're labeled that church out there. We feel, man, we're being persecuted. But I don't think that's real persecution. Because I have pastor friends and missionaries that are dealing with pastors being headed for the sake of the gospel. That's persecution. I'm not minimizing what's happening to us sometimes is hard or difficult. But sometimes we're calling something persecution when it's actually just a birth pain. All of creation is longing, even with expectation unto now, waiting for the manifestation of the sons and daughters of God. We moved to Franklin, Tennessee three years ago today, actually. And um, when we moved in, it was great. We loved the property. We have one neighbor. They, they do missions, and they're believers on the other side. Our first encounter with her was she just told us she didn't like us, would never like us, and didn't know us and didn't care to know us. She wanted to let us know that her property line uh, was five foot on the other side of the fence she already built up, and uh, we weren't to mow it, we weren't to, to, you know, to go there. All, you know, it was great. She was telling us how many people died on car crashes on the road in front of our house, and, you know, and basically she was just speaking death over us. And, and, and at times she, she just would stand on her back porch and she would scream. She, she has high anxiety and fear, and, and she's just tormented. Uh, one of her little dogs got into our yard and we have two Great Danes and a Springer Spaniel and they didn't like the other dog coming in their yard and that didn't end well. 
So that didn't help the situation. Uh, she posted on Nextdoor app and other things about how bad we were. And, and I, man, I wrote so many things that the Lord wouldn't let me post back. Because <laughs> it didn't sound like Jesus. But it was good. <laughs> I have never felt so lawyer-like in my whole life. You know, I, and I just, we just, just, just kept praying and, then Palm Sunday, the night before Palm Sunday, I was in Washington, D.C. ministering. Can, can I tell you something that we don't talk about or you're not going to hear on the news? There's a move of God happening in Washington, D.C. There's prayer meetings and worship meetings happening in, in Capitol buildings and Senate office buildings and house office buildings. And, and I've been there and I've been a part of it, so I can tell you that it's real and not just hearsay. There's also this move called David's Tent. It's right on the mall, and it's right in between the, the, the Washington Monument and, and the Capitol Building, so right there. And there's a tent, and it's actually been there for 10 years. 24 hours, seven days a week, prayer, praise, worship. We don't talk about it. And even during all the crazy stuff of, of January, they, they, they moved them a little bit, but they never had to leave the mall. And so that's where I was the night before Palm Sunday. And I get back to my room about 11 at night, and I called my wife, and she said, man, it just keeps raining and raining. And she said, the water's actually up to uh, the, the top of our porch. And she said, it's kind of freaking me out a little bit. And so she says, uh, you know, uh, oh, my goodness, there goes our Christmas boxes that floated out of our, our, our shed and garage. And she says, I think I should probably leave. And, you know, I said, where's your faith woman? No, I didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not smart, but I'm not dumb either. Uh, and um, <laughs> where is thy faith? <laughs> Man, I wish I would have. No, I don't wish I would have said it. Uh, and, and, you know, so I'm talking to her and a neighbor three doors down that goes to our church is calling in. He says, everything all right? I said, Man, I'm gone. I think Molly needs to get out of there. He said, I've got guys coming and, 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 and big trucks. And so they're, I'll send a couple guys down and get help her and the kids get out and and so they helped my wife and the neighbor, and one guy came and actually drove uh, my wife out and let his truck get flooded. That was community to me. I wasn't there to handle the crisis. And, 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 but, but the body of Christ rallied, and I flew in the next morning as, as planned and Got there, and there was a truck bed from a 1977 Ford right in the middle of our front yard. That was funny because you go, how'd that get there? And it just, you know, you, you look like a, it feels like a bomb went off, and our house was flooded, all, all kinds of stuff. And these guys, the same guys that were there in the night, came again with chainsaws and one guy with a skid steer. And, and it was like this whole group of folks converged on us. As we were trying to come up with a plan, I have a friend named Mark, and Mark said, you know what we should do, dude, is we should put Kim's fence up first. And I said, that's a really great idea. That's the neighbor who didn't like us. I said, yeah, let's put that fence back up. Not because I wanted separate, well, kind of, but, but not that I wanted separation. But, you know, we, we just wanted to show her love. So we start putting the fence up, and guys got chainsaws. They start cutting up limbs and things. And she comes running out. I think this isn't going to be so great. But she starts screaming. 
you're helping me, you're helping me, you're helping me. You're helping me. Why are you helping me? And I said, Kim, we love you, and we're not going to clean up our yard till we get yours done first. By noon, she was eating lunch with us. By 6 o'clock, she'd gone to Taco Bell and got two of them 12-pack things. She went from flipping me off every day to waving at me every day. Why? Her anger wasn't anger. It was just birth pains. Her rage, her, all of that stuff wasn't hate. It was hurt. And if you don't discern it, you won't recognize the fact that those people aren't your enemies. They're actually your ushers. They're actually the people that God puts in your life to usher you deeper into his presence, deeper into trust, deeper into evangelism, deeper into healing, deeper into his heart. And if you don't discern it right, you won't recognize that those people are actually your harvest. I'm amazed and I'm also guilty of doing this. We ask the Lord for something. The Lord brings it our way. Then we find ways to still complain about it. We ask the Lord for a house. We ask the Lord for a job. We ask the Lord to move us to a certain place. And, and, and we get there and things may not be going how we want them to go. And suddenly, this dumb house, there's always something wrong with it. I can't believe I have to get up this morning and go back to that job and that boss. And we start cursing our harvest. We start cursing what God actually has blessed us with and actually what we asked for. I, I, I don't know why I'm sharing this this morning, but, but I think the Lord is opening our eyes. He's bringing us fresh revelation. I'm not condemning you and I'm not condemning me. I'm simply giving us a different perspective of seeing rightly and clearly in this moment. Because if you don't, you'll go, America is going to hell in a handbasket and the state of Minnesota is crazy and the governor and this and that. And you'll actually miss the fact that God wants to do something phenomenally great. See, I can either be a part of the problem or the promise. I can either focus on the problem or the promise. I can either see my promise through the lens of my problem or I can see my problem through the lens of my promise. And how I discern that and, and, and walk through that is really powerful. A couple of uh, weeks ago, actually on, uh, on June the 13th, the Saturday before, we, we were living in a hotel because our house was being renovated. And you know, in, in all of that transition, like it's, it's really hard to just do normal life. And so we still go to church. You know, when I'm home and I'm not ministering, I still go to church. But, you know, I'll go to one service instead of two. Sometimes I still go to two because I, I just need it. I need to get saved again and again and again. And I just really love the church. Like, I get to travel all around the world. I get to do great conferences and do great things. But at the end of the day, I love the local church. That's why I love you. Because you're what Jesus said he would build. 
and the gates of hell wouldn't prevail against it. And so the Saturday before, the pastor called me, and um, he, he said, are you going to be at church tomorrow? And I, I said, yeah, I'll probably come to second service. He said, well, can you come to both? I said, yeah. He said, well, uh, my wife uh, said, you know, Becky said that I should call you. And, and I said, Jeff, man, that word about you should listen to your wife. I'm proud of you. You're really doing it. And and, and he's like, yeah, she just feels like you have something. And I have part of a word. And Matt Corson, who's another uh, pastor of our, of our ministry school and uh, a worship leader, had a, another part of a word. And he said, I feel like you've got another part. And I said, well, I don't, but I'm, I'll come. And, and here's the funny thing about me. Like, I don't know what I'm going to say until right about the time I'm going to say it. So I, I prepare. I have all of these notes, and they're really great. I just don't ever really get to preach them. And, and so I'm getting it probably like 30 seconds before you're getting it. And, and it just kind of, you know, that's the way the Lord's wired me. And, and I'm happy with that. It keeps me on my toes and I can never predict what God's going to do. I just have to follow him into it. So I show up and, and Jeff shares this word. It's really interesting what the Lord put on his heart uh, was out of uh, Genesis 27. If you know the story, uh, Jacob steals the blessing. Right, his mama loved Jacob. Jacob was her favorite, and she wanted him to be, receive the, the blessing and the inheritance of Isaac. And so they scheme. They come up with this idea that she would put you know, camel hair and all kinds of stuff and make him smell like Esau, who is the hunter, and all of that. And Jacob you know, goes in and says he Esau, and he, he gives his uh, father some stew and and, 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 and all of that, and, and, and he gets the blessing. And Esau comes back to get blessed, and, and he said, uh, I can't bless you because I, I already blessed your brother. Your, your brother uh, fooled me. He deceived me. And, and at this point, Isaac is trembling because of the deception that took place. Esau is, is shaken. He's enraged. He's hurt. He's broken. And he said, haven't you saved one blessing for me? And he said, what do you want me to say to you, my son? I've given your blessing to Jacob. And this is what the scripture says. And the blessing stands. Man, I don't like that. Because somebody else got what I thought was right for me. And the blessing stands because once the blessing's released, it can't be taken back. He said, haven't you saved one for me? And, and Isaac goes into this great discourse and, 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 and is speaking these things over Esau, which almost sound more like a curse than a blessing. And he, he's like, you know, there's, you're not going to have any rest and you're going to have to do all this stuff. And you're going to work the ground and everything's going to be blood, sweat, and tears. Thanks a lot, Dad. And he said, you know, you're going to serve your brother. You're going to actually serve the one who just stole from you? And it all sounds really bad. But all of a sudden, towards the end, around verse 40, Isaac says these words to Esau. But when you decide to go free, you will, call, you will throw his yoke from your neck. Think about that for a moment. 
We have all of these things that aren't right. We have all of these things that have been done to us. We have all of these things stolen from us. We have all of these things that we're walking through. And all of a sudden the Lord says, when you decide to go free, you will throw his yoke off of you. Because freedom is a decision. I got radically saved from addiction and mental illness. I'd committed suicide. God raised me successful and God raised me up. Over two and a half days I was on life support and God raised me up. I died crazy, but I woke up in my sound mind. I had to live institutionalized for four months because of a Baker Act. So if you can understand or try to comprehend what it's like to live free while you're actually confined. My first four months of freedom was an institution. And I knew what it was like to be bound. I knew what it was like to be depressed. I knew what it was like to be suicidal. I knew what it was like to be crazy and addicted and tormented. But suddenly I was free and I actually had to learn, or maybe a better word is to choose to be free. Because it's really easy to go back to what I know. I knew crazy. And it may sound weird and odd to you, but crazy was predictable to me. I knew if I acted a certain way, I could repel people, keep people away from me. Cra I, I was... But I chose to go free, and I threw that yoke off of me because it no longer defined me. It's kind of like the blind Bartimaeus, right? Everybody's telling him to be quiet. You can't be healed. You, you know, your time is missed. You should have been on the mountainside. You missed the meeting. And Jesus stands still, commands him to be called. The same guys that said, you need to shut up and be quiet and you missed your miracle are the same guys that said, Jesus will see you now. Jesus asks, you know, and all of a sudden, Bartimaeus throws off his beggar's garment and goes running to Jesus. He's not even healed yet. He's still blind. That's blind faith. And he takes off running to Jesus, but he throws off the thing that's defined him his whole life. Because he chose to throw that yoke off of his neck. I don't know who I'm talking to right now. I'm sorry for what happened to you. I'm sorry for abuse. I'm sorry for pain. I'm sorry for church hurt. I'm sorry that your dad didn't know how to bless you and your mom didn't know how to love you. And I'm sorry for the, the conflict within family. And I'm sorry for the teachers who said, who do you think you are? And I'm, I'm sorry for all of the injustices that have been done to you. But there comes a moment in the name of Jesus where I realize that that no longer defines me. And I throw that yoke off of my neck because I choose to go free. And I feel there is a word over America and there is a word over Destiny Church and that is let freedom ring. Because who the Son sets free is free indeed. 
that you would know the truth and the truth would make you free. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. I'm not a victim in the story. I'm not a victim of the story of COVID-19. I'm not a victim in the story of my past mental illness. I'm not a victim of the story of my first divorce. I'm not a victim uh, in the story of all of the, the haters on the internet. I'm not a victim of the story. Why? Because he who overcame death, hell, and the grave is on the inside of me. So I'm no longer victimized. I am an overcomer of all of that. Why? Because it really doesn't matter what people say anymore. It only matters what my father said before the foundation of the earth. That he's watched over that word day and night. And he keeps calling forth the gold when only people could see the dirt. I'm just telling you right now, there is a choice to be made in this season to go free. If you'll get that, I'm just telling you right now to change your life right now in this moment. So the worship leader gets up and he had a conversation with the pastor during the week and he shared something for his journal and the pastor said, that's great. Can you share it with the whole church? And he said, it's always really comfortable when the Lord says something to you very personal and intimate and private. And the pastor says, can you share that in front of the whole church? And he goes, I guess so. And Matt starts sharing about how he was asking the Lord for something. And he felt really like let down, like the Lord well, he wasn't getting any new revelation and the Lord, like he felt like certain things didn't happen that were supposed to happen. And he starts inquiring of the Lord. And the Lord said, uh, Matt, I can't really give you the next thing till you actually go back and do the first thing. And Matt said he, he felt like he was supposed to get baptized again at, at one of our baptismal things. And he got busy with ministry and he thought it's kind of weird being a pastor and then getting baptized and and he kind of just brushed it off and, and got busy with it. And, and in this conversation with the Lord, what he realized is that he was missing an invitation. He was missing an invitation to the Lord where the Lord was inviting him into something, but he didn't RSVP to it. Every revelation is an invitation into a process. Every revelation, that uh, all of the words over the 41 years of Destiny Church that, that, have, that, that have hung in the atmosphere over this place, that have been written down, that are on the board out there, and that are written in your hearts and recorded on cassettes and eight tracks and tablets of stone that were chiseled out. <laughs> and on the interwebs and all of those things, Right? are actually invitations that require us to respond. How do you respond to a word from the Lord? Yes, Lord. It's not really what I want, Lord, but I'll say yes to it anyway. It's not what I imagine, Lord, but I'll respond to it anyway. And so he has this moment, this encounter with God, and the Lord starts dealing with him about all of these disappointments and missed opportunities. And the Lord said, you know, son, expectation to be disappointed, expectation and disappointment is not of me. Yeah. 
And the Lord tells him, I want you to kick the dust off your feet from the last season that didn't receive you well. Remember the story of Jesus when he tells the disciples, go into a house and go to a city and speak peace. And if there's a man of peace there, it'll rest and you go in that house. But if they don't receive you, if they don't have peace on them, you click the dust off your feet and you keep on going. Why? He was basically saying to you, don't you carry your rejection? Don't you carry your fear? Don't you carry your past? Don't you, care? don't you carry what hasn't been done to you or for you? Don't carry that into the next season. There's a word for the body in this season. It's called wrap it up. Wrap it up. You know, when Jesus was resurrected from the dead, when John and Mary and Martha all came to anoint his body and the stone was rolled away, and do you know he didn't just leave the grave clothes in a, in a heap? Like I, I picture Jesus like running out of those grave clothes and, and those just being left behind because he didn't need them anymore. But actually, one of the Gospels, I think it's John, says that Jesus actually folded up the grave clothes and laid them on the bed. He wrapped up the old season because death couldn't follow him into resurrection. Some of you, come on right now in this place, you've got to realize, I'm going to wrap up this last place of disappointment. I'm going to wrap up this last place if it didn't happen and they should have and she should have and he could have and all of those things. And he wrapped them up because that could not follow him out of the grave. And I believe the Lord is calling us to wrap some things up. I believe it with all my heart today. Some of you right now, the kindness of the Lord is about to receive you in this season. This season, you're about to get caught up in the kindness of the Lord. Jesus is the kindest person I've ever met. He's holy and he's just. I don't preach a mamby-pamby, weak gospel. I preach the whole gospel, the whole counsel of God. But we can get lopsided into the justice and judgment part and forget the mercy and the kindness part. David never said, your judgment has led me to repentance. He said, your kindness leads me to repentance. I believe two things are about to hit the church and America and the earth in this season. Mercy and fire. Crickets. <laughs> when you do this twice a day, every day, buddy, you work with phone calls and sound effects and Sometimes you're preaching good, you think everybody should be shouting, it's just crickets. <laughs> like, you're supposed to be prophetic, but I'm also observant. <laughs> it's the last time that person will leave their phone on in church. Uh, and, uh, mercy and fire. In case you haven't noticed, I'm a different kind of dude. 
handsome, humble, holy, <laughs> pleasantly plump. But I'm a mercy-motivated prophet. Steve asked me yesterday, he said, don't you ever see anything bad about people? And I said, yeah. But I never say it publicly because shame never produces good fruit. So I never speak to behavior, I speak to identity. When I correct my kids, I don't say, this is what you're doing wrong. I said, that's not who you are, this is who you are. I don't give people a pass. But I'm mercy motivated. And here's where the Lord has been dealing with me. If you're mercy motivated, if you're not careful, you can get unsanctified mercy. And you'll start showing mercy to things Jesus would never show mercy to. That doesn't produce good fruit either. That's why you need mercy and fire. The mercy of God with the fiery love of God cleanses us. It, it's, it's poured out upon us. It compels us. It changes us. I have a pastor friend who's really great, man. He's, he's a great pastor, a great apostolic leader. But he's probably one of the greatest dads I know as well. And his son was getting in trouble in school and smoking a little marijuana and was stealing things and shoplifting. And one day he got caught stealing a cell phone at school. Mom went and picked the kid up. And it was one of those things, wait till your dad gets home. And, and he was frustrated with his kid. This pastor was frustrated with his kid. And, and I'm a community leader. I'm a pastor in this city. He's, this is a Christian school. And, and he, he was kind of ready to put the hammer down and punish him and, and, and all of those things. And as he's pulling in the driveway, the Lord speaks these words to him. He said, you could either be a judge or a dad. And your son doesn't need a judge right now. He needs a dad. So he went and he fathered him through it. He brought correction and today, that son, fully saved, serving God, they're walking in ministry, about to transition the church one to the other. Why am I saying this? I can't show mercy to what God wouldn't show mercy to at the same way. Judgment and justice are completely different. And I believe the Lord Listen, I believe that the, the judgment comes. Are, are you hearing me? Again, preach the whole counsel of God. But I believe this, that, that, that we're about to watch the mercy of God and the justice of God being poured out. I had a friend this week call me and he was praying and, and, and you know, he's, he's, he's got a lot of hurts and business guy and different things. And he's like, I, I, I just feel like this really strong, but I'm going to see the vengeance of my enemies before I, you know, right before I see my promises fulfilled and then I'm going to get to laugh in their faces. I said, 
wow, man, I think that's great, but I probably have a different perspective than you. Because in the Old Testament, vengeance is coals get poured on their head. and Woo-hoo. But in the New Testament, what a vengeance looks like salvation. What a vengeance looks like restoration of your relationship with those people. What a vengeance looks like they get saved and, and, and they actually get reconciled to you. Well, what if those people actually were your ushers? Change his whole perspective. A few years ago, I was in Australia. And I was going through a season, you probably never go through this because you're tough Minnesotans who know how to handle the winter. You can laugh at that, smile, it's all, it's all right. But I, I had this, this jolt of insecurity. I felt like everything I was preaching was falling flat. I was around what I would call major leaders that, you know, I, I was kind of like the, opening act and kind of the filler in the sessions. I was jet lagged. I had pain in my neck and pain in my back and anxiety was trying to come upon me. And I preached probably what was one of the greatest messages I ever preached until this morning. <laughs> but I was questioning all of it. And I was all up in my head and all up in my feels. That's teenager talk for you're in your emotions. They probably don't even say that anymore. That was probably two weeks ago. I mess with my kids. Like, you know, instead of hashtag, I say pound sign. Instead of saying lit, I go lit up like a family. Instead of lit fam. Bet, cap. And I say it all wrong, and they're like, Dad, don't do that. And then I say it in front of their friends, and <laughs> then their friends laugh, and then they say, don't laugh at him, it only makes it worse. <laughs> and it does. And I'm all up in my feels and fears, and I'm just in the bed, and this is an old Victorian house in Australia, and the door didn't close all the way, and I'm laying on the bed and facing towards the door. And all of a sudden, I feel the presence of God coming, but it's different than I expected. Like, he, it's not comforting. It's, it's, he's coming on a mission. And, and I, I open my eyes, and I'm looking at the door, and it's like I can see the silhouette of Jesus walking up the steps to me. He turns, he walks in my room, and he just goes, I want my stuff back. I said, Lord, you can have the car and the house. You can have the bank accounts. You can have the dogs. Please take the dogs. You, know, you can have it all. He said, no, not that stuff. I gave it to you. I said, even the dogs? <laughs> he said, that pain in your neck? It doesn't belong to you. It belongs to me. I took it on the tree. That anxiety you're carrying, that insecurity you're carrying, doesn't belong to you. It belongs to me. And I want my stuff back. And I just had this moment in God where I just lifted all this stuff and I gave it to him because it no longer belongs to me. 
we often get weary because we're trying to carry a weight and a burden that isn't ours to carry. But when you choose to go free, that yoke will get thrown from your neck. Is this ministering to anybody this morning? I believe this, that the Lord is coming to deal with three things today that will keep you from the move of God and the manifestation of every promise. The things I love, the things I doubt, and the things I fear. Jesus said in Matthew 22, verse 32, the Pharisees tried to trip him up. They said, what's the greatest commandment? And he said, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then he one-ups them. Don't you love that about Jesus? He doesn't tell you the right answer. He actually raises the bar. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. I misquoted, Matthew 22, 37. And, and, and so, tells me this, that he wants me, he wants to be my first love. And he doesn't want to compete with everything else. 2015, it was another one of those seasons where my, my ministry was exploding and we were doing, going so many places and God was moving and I was never seeing so many miracles and I was getting to preach with with amazing people. I was invited to Australia to a conference with Bill Johnson, and we booked it out a year in advance, which we don't normally do, but that's how they do it, and, and so we did. My wife agreed with it. Then my daughter got accepted to a university, and turned out that the weekend I was supposed to be in Australia was the day she was getting moved into college. And my wife and daughter asked me to, um, to cancel the trip so I could stay home with, to be with the boys. and I'm a fixer, so I interpreted that as fix it. Hire the best babysitter the kids love. They go to university, you go to Australia. And my wife kept saying, you need to cancel the trip. And I said, baby, it'll be all right. She said, the boys need you. And I missed it, what she was really saying, I need you. In my head, I was thinking, these opportunities only come once a year, uh, once in a lifetime, and if I miss this, it may never come again. It's taken me seven, you know, 15 years of ministry to get right here now, and, and, I, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm working all of these things out. You should never work out spiritual things in the flesh, but you should let the Spirit work out those flesh things. And even up to the airport, they're saying, you shouldn't go. And I went, man, and I had the best meetings like miracles, like crazy, like a girl that had cuts on her arms from cut being cutter, thousand cuts disappeared. I was preaching Bill Johnson on the front row. He was taking notes, man. <laughs> he had his iPad out. I don't know if he was doodling or taking notes, but we're saying he was taking notes, right? God moves, the conference ends. I preach at another church Sunday morning. Bill flies to New Zealand. And before he texts me, he's like, hey, I want you to come to Bethel and do the prophetic conference in February. And I have arrived. Me and the pastor from Australia go to another 
town in New South Wales and deliverance is happening and, and, and I get back to my meeting that night from my meeting that night I call my wife and I, I, I'm so excited about all these things happening and she said I don't, I don't know if I want to do this anymore I don't know if it's worth it she said I think you're a narcissist and I said that's impossible I don't even know how to spell it or what it means And she said, I think you actually love ministry more than you love Jesus. And I'll be honest with you, I think she was right. Because this can feel really good to me. Hearing one of my heroes, Trish Cornamon, go, you're like Jesus with skin on. If I'm not really humble, if I just have false humility, that doesn't go to my heart, it goes to my head. And I like the feeling of the anointing. I like when the anointing is flowing from me and words of knowledge are flowing and they're accurate and people are getting healed and, and all of those things. And I can come addicted to that like I was addicted to alcohol. I can find myself working for God, trying to get His affection and attention instead of working with Him. And I was losing first love. And I was losing my most important ministry, my family. I actually had to cancel meetings with Bill and other, I mean, great folks. They're just, they're just people, by the way. Just ministers, just people, just like us. And I thought it was, it was the end of it all. They weren't ever going to have me back. But what I received was love. There was a great woman of God. She, uh, they still had me minister by Zoom on this one thing, so I, I did. And God moved, and they started ministering to me. And this one lady started, Che uh, Sue On was her name. She starts her ministry to me like, oh, poor, poor Dave. And I'm like, finally, somebody gets me. <laughs> yes, poor, poor David. Yes, thank you. Thank you for seeing that. And she goes, you've just done it all wrong. <laughs> no, 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 let's go back to poor, poor David. <laughs> you've just been doing it all wrong. You've been stair-stepping. God here, Molly here, kids here ministry here and it never works like that Jesus has to be the center and if Jesus is the center everything flows out of him and it's in perfect balance it may sound simple to you but that word saved my life probably saved my marriage I guarantee you probably saved my ministry let me ask you a question. Is there anything you love more than him? Do you love your happiness more than him, your family more than him, ministry more than him, miracles more than him? Not condemning you, not condemning me. It's a valid question because I think the number one thing the Lord is asking from the church in this season is that we would come back to first love. You are my first love. You are my only one. Neither it's a nice song or it's actually the truth. The second thing is the things we fear. 
things we fear. Last year was a big year for fear, wasn't it? Perfect faith doesn't cast out all fear, but perfect love does. The Lord will move with a mustard seed of faith. But he casts out fear with perfect love. I had three fears when I got saved. The fear of man, the fear of rejection, and the fear of public speaking. I was abused in life and emotionally, physically, sexually, and by men, and so I feared men. I was also a people pleaser, so I was afraid of not letting people be happy. I had a fear of rejection. And even when I first got saved, if a pastor corrected me, I felt like he was rejecting me because something was broken on the inside. Then I realized that the Lord chastises those he loves and he doesn't beat us down, he actually draws us close. And I had a fear of public speaking. Like my biggest fear in school was to ask me to read out loud because I stuttered and lisped and got worse when I was 12. I was playing baseball and going for a foul ball and my two front teeth ended up in the forehead of the catcher. I had 38 stitches in my tongue and they put my teeth in, they did them wrong and then had to get them taken back out the next day, put them back in. So I've always been self-conscious about my mouth. And I kept getting these words about I was going to go around the world preaching the gospel. Wherever I go, lives we touch and change, but I didn't know how anybody would ever want to listen to me. And this very weekend, in 1998, my pastor took me up to a town a couple hours from here called Thief River Falls, Minnesota. I was just carrying his bags and his sweat rag, you know, just kind of getting the, carrying the Bible, those things. I, I was just wanting to serve and learn and be around. There were some great meetings there, and I started hearing God and, and started prophesying really for the, the first time. That's why Minnesota is so special to me. And we went up to God's River, Manitoba, Canada, and we were getting ready for a meeting, and the pastor knocked on the door of the room I was staying in, and he said, David, I heard the Lord. I believe the call of God on your life. I heard the word of the Lord over your life, and um, you're going to preach tonight. And I said, but, 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 Pastor, I never preached before. So now I've heard God. I believe the word of the Lord, you're, like you're preaching tonight. So I just opened my Bible and pointed to a scripture. You ever do that? <laughs> and I think it was uh, Genesis 6 26. The Spirit of God will not contend with the hearts of men forever. It's going to be a real humdinger of a message, man. <laughs> Exhorting. And, and I got up and. Fear overtook me, and I mumbled and stuttered and lisped, and I, I drew circles on the carpet with my toes and looked down the whole time. And After seven minutes, I failed miserably and said, in the name of Jesus, amen, I gave it to the pastor, and he rescued it. Went back to the house that night, and we talked about stuff, but he didn't, talk about, he didn't even bring it up. Next day before the meeting, an hour before the meeting, he knocked on the door and said, David, I heard the Lord. 
And I believe in the call of God on your life, what he said over you, you're going to preach tonight. And I thought I was in a movie called Groundhog Day. And I said, but, 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 Pastor, don't, don't, don't you remember the last night was really, 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 really bad. And he said, no, I heard God. And I believe the call of God on your life, you're going to preach tonight. And I remember saying, what if I fail? So the only thing you need to know, son, is that if you fail tonight, you're going to do it again tomorrow night, <laughs> and the next night, and the next night. So if you don't ever get anything I've never told you, you need to get this, that failure's never final when the Father's in the room. Corey Asbury actually wrote a song based on that, uh, on that quote. That night I went to church, I got up to preach, and when I opened my mouth, a roar came out of me, and the stutter left, the lisp, and I mean, I'm still not very pleasant to listen to sometimes, but I, at least I'm easy on the eyes. <laughs> but that night I got completely healed, not only of the stutter, but of the fear. And every day I get to look fear in the face. You still come on you? I deal with it every day. It doesn't overtake me. It doesn't overwhelm me. I just get to look at it. Why? Because I've discovered what I'm afraid of is more afraid of me. Yeah. And the third thing is the things I doubt. This is a church of faith. You're a people of faith. But I would guarantee that a lot of us actually will believe God for other people, but we have a hard time believing for ourselves. I can believe for you, but I don't always have the gift to believe for me. See, doubt is not lack of faith. It's simply believing other, something other than what God said. I don't know who I'm talking to today. God's about to bring you to first love. Out of first love, perfect love's coming. It's casting out all fear. And he's about to bring this people out from underneath the shadow of doubt. You're about to go beyond the shadow of it. Are you hearing me today? You're about to go out beyond the shadow of doubt. And what I love about the Lord is he never leaves me hanging. I said it last night, the Lord was healing the church of disappointment. He was healing the church of discouragement. He was healing the church of delay, and he was healing the church of distractions. If you missed it, you just caught it. I said it in an hour and a half last night, and you got it in 10 seconds. This morning, do I have the right people for this word today? Here's where I'm, I'm preaching it. I didn't want to. I have something greater about an encounter. I'll preach it the next time, maybe. Here's why I'm preaching it. Because there is a great recalibration and reset coming to the body of Christ. And if we will get our hearts aligned, if we will actually get our face fixed upon Him, then I'm telling you, everything you've been believing for for 41 years or more, God's about to deposit and bring suddenly, all of a sudden. Are you hearing me?
I'm convinced of it. I'm actually fully persuaded of it. I'm fully persuaded of it this morning. I believe that this is the season where God is resetting some things. Final thing I'll I'll say, and then I'll say some more. Is that you don't have to agree with me, but I would recommend that you agree with God. Because what you agree with, you will align with. Amos 3.3 says, how can two walk together unless they agree? You're going to be a church that's known for walking with God. In agreement. When troops are marching, and they march in cadence, when they get to a bridge, they break cadence. Because the power of them being in one step is enough to take down the bridge. That's the power of agreement. One of the things the prophetic does is connect the dots. I don't believe the song list this morning was just like, I like this song. Do you like this song, John? You want to sing this song? Do you want, hey, Alicia, what do you think about this song? Hey, Lauren, do you think this one's good? But I think it was prayed into. And God said, I want you to sing this because you're actually declaring who you are and who I am at the same time. This is a house of healing. This is a house of miracles. Pastor Stephen introduced me yesterday morning in a men's meeting. He said, I wanted to thank Dave for coming to the middle of nowhere and kind of podunk back, you know, backwoods, back. And he said, but I'm not going to say that. I want to welcome Dave Wagner into the place of one of the greatest revivals the earth has ever seen. Want to know why? He said, uh, I'm not going to go by what people want to say in the natural. I'm going to go with what God said about this house. I'm not saying you can't have fun or joke around. I said it last night. I'll, I'll say it to you this morning. My first time here, I was at the, the, by the lake house, and the Lord woke me up. I didn't know where I was. I didn't have my bearings.